This is the Education Gadfly Show. Sort of, uh, you know, intelligence agent for the American government. That was happening here. I'm like Carmen Sandiego. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the California wildfire of education reform, Carlos Marquez. Carlos, welcome. Great to be here. Yeah, Carlos is Vice President of Government Affairs at the California Charter Schools Association. We're going to talk about California charters. Also joining us from uh, wet Portland, Oregon, David (laughs) Griffith. Originally, that's right. Thanks, Mike. They ever have wildfires uh, out there? We actually do. Uh, It's not all wet. If you get east of the Cascades, you can have wildfires. These these wildfires are are crazy. Uh, I mean, I guess just every year we're now getting used to this. But the the broiling heat, the bizarre weather, uh, I don't know. Some people seem to think something might be up with our climate. But we're not here to talk about that. Because <laughs> we, uh, we could, we could do climate uh, climate change podcasts. I'm sure there are great ones out there on that. Another they, third rail issue. That, yes, yeah. exactly. They're probably depressing. I mean, the, those climate change podcasts cannot I'm, be uh, a, you know, a whole lot of fun these days. I have no doubt that we'd be equally ill-informed. So. <laughs> David, come on. You are in the t- classroom. <laughs> We've all experienced weather. Uh, yes. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's all the same. All right. Hey, lots to talk about with California charter schools. So let's do it. It's time for ed reform update. All right, Carlos. Well, you are in town for an event. Uh, actually, we are taping this a week ahead of time. So this event now is is a week behind us. But here at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute World Headquarters, talking about whether charter schools can survive this political moment that we are in a moment uh, of populism, uh, in a moment of partisanship and polarization. And charter schools, you know, for over 20 years have been a bipartisan effort. Uh, some would argue a centrist uh, effort. And so it perhaps is putting some strains on the movement. And what a lot of people point to is, yikes, uh, the pro-charter school candidate in the Democratic primary for the gubernatorial election in California, the biggest prize uh, in the biggest state, uh, got crushed, uh, <laughs> even with uh, with some wealthy philanthropists and donors putting a lot of money into his campaign. Villaraigosa lost big time to Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom, endorsed by the unions, uh, said some things about charter policy that made many people nervous. So uh, how worried should we be? Are we about to see uh, California charter schools get hit uh, by this blue wave? Well, let me be clear. The California movement, the California charter schools movement is incredibly resilient and continues to thrive and has done so for, you know, over 25 years. And, you know, obviously uh, we, we've, we've experienced a bit of a setback with the gubernatorial loss that you just referenced. Um, but it was important for us as an organization and as a movement to stand with uh, our friends. And it is not easy as a Democrat, uh, in California to uh, stand uh, shoulder to shoulder with charter school parents, many of whom have decided that they simply are out of quality options for their students and that our schools have actually provided a lifeline in Mm -hmm. the neighborhoods who need it the most. Um, And, uh, and yet Democrats often, 
you know, they've got the the arrows in their back to to show for it. But few Democrats have have stood uh, more resolutely in support of charter public schools um, in the 25 years that charter schools have operated in yeah. California than Antonio Villaraigosa. And it was really important for us to be able to project to all of our other friends, yeah. the ones we know about, and potentially the prospective friends that mm-hmm. we are yet to meet, that when you stand up uh, for uh, students particularly vulnerable students, students of color, Mm -hmm. uh, students with disabilities, uh, students who simply are not thriving in the traditional public school system, we will stand with you even when that decision is not popular. That's interesting. So, so it's not just that you were wanting him to win and that he would have been good on, on this issue as governor, but that because he supported you in the past, supported charter school students and supported, you know, put, put kids first, it was important to get his back uh, when it mattered. Absolutely. But that's not to suggest that uh, we don't have optimism about um, continuing to, to cultivate a relationship with the, you know, sort of the presumptive uh, governor-elect, um, if yeah. you will, uh, Gavin Newsom. His personal story is incredibly compelling. Um one that would suggest that he is open to making room for charter public schools within the broader system as governor. Yeah. He grew up dyslexic with a single mom and uh, represented a city that absolutely uh, was a hotbed of, of high quality chartering. Um, San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. And, you know, there's no question California continues to be an epicenter of the education wars, so to speak. And um, we get to be on the front lines of of that uh, front of yeah. that effort. Um, well, so, but, but let, let, let's talk going forward. So you've got though uh, a very strong majority of Democrats uh, in the legislature. Is it super majority at this point? Uh, so there was a super majority of Democrats in the legislature about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, that super majority has slipped okay. uh, because of some recent electoral events. You know, so, you know, my understanding is over the years and the recent last, say, you know, over the last eight years, if something silly came out of the, uh, the General Assembly, is that what we call it? The Assembly. The Assembly. Uh, in California, that was anti-charter. Uh, you could count on Governor Brown to veto it. Uh, mm. And he was, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, this fascinating political character, right? Uh, Governor Brown is. And and though he is very far to the left on some issues, on charter schools, as a charter founder himself, he's been he's been very good. He's been pragmatic, right? I mean, he's not uh, an ideologue one way or the other, but he has seen this uh, as, as a promising opportunity. And so in many cases, he was able to come through. So if you don't have that backstop, and in fact, you may have a governor uh, who is, some would argue, in the pocket of the teachers' unions, uh, you know, then what's the strategy? I mean, is... is is there some hope that you're going to get more support uh, now that you need it in the assembly itself? Well, I think you're right to uh, to, to lay out Governor Brown's record as having been, you know, fair-minded Democrat when it comes mm-hmm. to education and was able to hold the line time and again around efforts to to regulate the charter sector in a fashion that that would simply render it uh, almost exactly the same as the traditional public school system with all of its challenges and all of its regulatory barriers. Charter schools are public schools that have been granted flexibility, regulatory flexibility to, to try to create opportunities for students who are failing in the traditional public school system. So any effort to regulate in a way that perhaps is not in keeping with the public interest, he resisted. And we're grateful for that. But we have not sat on our laurels. And in fact, over the last two years, have uh, done the hard work, particularly on the electoral side, to improve our standing in the California state legislature in both the Assembly and the Senate. And so we're confident that 
we will be able to count on our friends in the legislature to engage in a thoughtful debate about when it is and when it is not appropriate to to regulate charter schools. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much again, Carlos Marquez, Vice President of Government Affairs at the California Charter Schools Association. And now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. <laughs> And standing in for Amber this week, we've got Fordham's own Adam Tyner. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. How are you doing, guys? We are well. I understand, you know, Adam has a complicated life. He's here, part of the national research team, lives in Oklahoma, and is calling in from Mexico City. Makes me wonder if you're actually some sort of, uh, you know, intelligence agent for the American government. Is that what's happening here? Yeah, I'm like Carmen Sandiego. Yeah. 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 It's all, he, he suspiciously spent time in China. I don't know. I don't know. It just makes me wonder. Hey, so Adam, uh, what do you have for us this week? Well, this week we've got a study by the Institute of Education Sciences. The report is entitled The Investing in Innovation Fund Summary of 67 Evaluations. And it's the Institute's final evaluation of the Investing in Innovation Program, sometimes called I3, which was created under the Obama stimulus bill of 2009. And they've doled out money for more than 150 projects under this program. And they've spent some pretty serious chunk of money on it. More than a billion dollars has gone out. I guess that's a fortune in education anyway. Um, might buy you half a stealth bomber. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, Interesting how he this. makes those uh, national security references, isn't it, David? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Back, back, back to education. Yeah. This, uh, so it's a collect, the, the report is a collection of program evaluations and a summary of program evaluations of a bunch of different types of programs. There's reading programs, education technology programs, charter schools trying to expand, TFA recruiting more teachers, a bunch of stuff. And what's interesting about it is that they required them, as a lot of funders do, they required them to have rigorous independent evaluations conducted on the programs. And then they are reporting out what um, what they found from all this. It all has to be made public. So they find that a handful of these programs were really successful. They were implemented with fidelity and they had positive impacts. And they also find that a lot of the programs, actually a majority of the programs funded by the initiative were unsuccessful and that they didn't show uh, positive impacts. So the top line finding of the 67 grants that they had completed evaluations for, just nine were implemented with fidelity and showed clear positive effects. Hmm. And that might sound bad. It's actually, there's a few reasons why that might be a little misleading. Just nine out of 67 being ha- having positive effects sounds pretty bad. But let me tell you just a little bit more about the types of grants they give out. They have three types of grants. They have development grants, validation grants, and scale-up grants. And they're defined by the purpose of the grant, but also by the levels of evidence required to get the grant. So the development grants, for example, they don't require a lot of evidence that the program is likely to work. They're just kind of experimental. And um, those are much smaller than the grants that are um, like the scale-up grants. And those development grants, being the ones that have the weakest foundation in research, have the lowest rate of being implemented with fidelity and having positive effects. Only 8% of those grants were um, funded funded projects that ended up being successful. But like I said, those are the smaller grants. Well, hey, can you give us any of the proper names? I mean, which of the programs uh, were successful? Any any well-known ones that weren't? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's actually a lot of household names here, at least household names in 
in education policy that were evaluated, or at least aspects of their programs were evaluated. Teach for America was evaluated. KIPP was evaluated. Uh, School of One was evaluated. Um, reading Recovery, um, at the AVID program. There's a, a lot of these that were that were um, evaluated, and there were some examples of 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 some I uh, some of the programs that are well known that didn't show positive effects. So a couple of those that are are kind of household names are School of One, uh, which is this innovative school that does these playlists and like person, highly personalized mm-hmm. curriculum and uses a lot of education technology. That was uh, a program that was uh, that, that showed no effect. Um, and Teach for America's uh, scale up grant, um, which uh, they were, that was one of the larger grants. The impact was also uh, n- null, meaning it, it didn't have an impact, not that it was negative, but that there wasn't a statistically significant difference. But something like KIPP, for example, uh, showed, showed strong impact. It did, actually. KIPP um, had a bunch of different outcomes. They were also one of the scale-up grants, which is the largest uh, type of grant. And they, uh, they had 18 different outcomes they reported, and all of those were either null or positive. They didn't report any negative. Uh, impacts from their study. And uh, there were a couple that they didn't report that they had pre-registered. So I'm not sure what was going on with that, but they, um, they had tons of positive outcomes and their, the goal of their grant was to expand the pool of trained school teachers. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, school leaders in the KIPP network. And they trained over a thousand school leaders, which was over wow. exceeded their own goal for their, their program. Wow. That's exciting. I mean, what, David, what, what's your take on this? I mean, uh, I guess as, as wonks and good government types, we would say that it's good for the government to take some risks on some programs that may be unproven because um, we might learn from something and then some of these may work. And then you, but you reserve the big money for stuff that has evidence. I mean, this all seems kind of a technocrat's dream, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm real happy over here. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do generally agree with that, right? Um, I, I, if you look at, successful organizations, they have information. They aren't flying blind. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the idea that we would year after year after year, you know, continue to invest billions of dollars, not just in education, but in anything, right? Yeah. Without really any real information about whether or not we're getting any, anything for our money is a little crazy. I mean, I I think if we could actually get accurate information, right, and, and we could take it to the bank, I would be willing to devote a significant portion of the education budget and a significant portion of any budget, right, to finding out whether or not it's working, um, because uh, that, that that information is virtually priceless. So, so I mean, I, I do think this is good. I, I think um, I don't know. I mean, I guess the question is sort of what what comes next yeah. with all this, right? It sounds to me like um, you know it's largely confirming what we believe here, Adam. Is that right? Like charter schools were the big winners. Yeah, I mean, they evaluated so many different programs <laughs> that I hesitate to draw exactly like what it was. There were so many different types of programs that were evaluated. Some were just reading programs. There were a couple of reading programs, uh, reading recovery, and then another one that was had an acronym, I think it was SPARK, the Spheres of Proud Achievement in Reading for Kids. That program also, uh, that program and reading recovery had very large positive effects on reading. Anyway, it's not just about you know, necessarily like market-based reforms or something like that. That's the takeaway. There's really a broad um, swath of types of programs that that came away with good findings and 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 you know null findings. What what about the experimental programs you were talking about? Was there any you know hidden nugget there in those that popped out? 
Yeah, there there were a couple. Um, there were both of them were related to that I noticed were related to reading, and there was that one that I just mentioned, the Spheres of Proud Achievement in Reading for Kids. That's a very intensive two year reading program that was about um, tutoring kids directly and also increasing parental engagement, and it had uh, 0.23 to 0.36 um, standard deviation effects on ELA outcomes. So that was pretty pretty positive. There was also an expository reading and writing course for 12th graders to help reduce remediation. And as somebody who's graded a lot of college essays, I can tell you that we need more of this. The That ha- also had a very positive um, a positive effect. It was not as large as, as the reading recovery ones, but it was uh, it was still a, a large positive effect. And those were the, the experimental programs. Hey, man, I, look, I, I like it. I, you say, you know, in terms of a federal role, I mean, this funding this kind of R&D is so hard to do. It's certainly local districts don't have the money. States don't have the money. The feds do. And it sounds like we've learned something. Now the trick is, how do we make sure that people at the local level who are trying to decide where to invest their own money see these results and that philanthropists see these results as well. Uh, and uh, Absolutely. And one other thing I'd add is just that one of the things that's so powerful about this is that they report all the results, positive, negative, or null, and making those results public when, pe- when funders have this option, uh, they, can, they can require their fundee to report the results regardless of how the evaluation turns out. And sometimes they aren't real um, forthcoming with that stuff. And that really contributes to a lot of the problem that we have this file drawer problem is what researchers call it, Mm -hmm. where null results just go in the file drawer and don't get reported out. We only see the positive results and then people have this distorted view of what actually works. So more funders could take the initiative that that they took with, with this program. All right. Well said. Thank you, Adam. Ending on a high note here. I like this. Look, David, we're all about optimism today. Uh, yeah, can't you feel the optimism? It must, it must be the sun. It has returned into the sky here. D.C., most optimistic city in the world. Amen. All right. Hey, that is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.